Hello and welcome to Revise, Rebut and Resubmit, a podcast that explores early career researchers' experiences in publishing their first academic paper and which celebrates this important milestone. My name is Jennifer Fitchett and I'm an Associate Professor of Physical Geography, an avid science communicator and a still relatively young academic with a passion for breaking down the barriers and unnecessary mysticism in the publication process. Each episode, I interview a new person on their journey in writing, revising, rebutting, resubmitting, and having their first academic paper published. This podcast is very kindly supported by the DSI-NRF Center of Excellence for Paleosciences. Annabelle Fenton might be one of the youngest guests interviewed on this podcast, having published her first paper from her honors research. She's currently pursuing her Master of Arts in Urban Geography, exploring the experiences of domestic workers who reside in the apartment blocks of Johannesburg's northern suburbs. At the timing of recording this podcast, Annabelle works as the Head of Strategy, Impact and Special Projects at Tanda, an NGO in rural KwaZulu-Natal. Annabelle has also been a very prolific um, communicator. She has had a blog for many, many years and is also very interested in various different forms of communicating both her research and her ideas about the world to a general public. So a very warm welcome to you, Annabelle. Thank you so much, Jen. So nice let's get, yes, and very wonderful to have you here. So let's get started with your first publication. And I want you to just give a quick overview to the listener about what you wrote on and where it was published. Sure. Um, so my first publication was called Youth Mobility in a Post-Apartheid City, an analysis of the use of e-hailing by students in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, and it was published in a journal called Urban Forum, which focuses on kind of urban studies and urban geography issues. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of the research that I conducted was during my honours year. So um, we used my honours project as a base um, for the paper that was then published. So I just want to start by saying a huge congratulations, because it's very rare for students to have their master's work published, let alone their honours. And it really speaks to the caliber of the work that you conducted during your honours year and the fact that the research went far beyond what an honours project requirements are. So it wasn't just the case of ticking some boxes and replicating a piece of work to a new environment, but you really generated new knowledge in that honours project. And so a huge congratulations to you on that, but also just a huge congratulations on your first paper. I think it's a really important milestone, whether or not you want to continue in academia, it's a wonderful thing to have behind you as this really concrete output that has come from the, the years of studying and the research that you did towards that degree. Thanks, Jen. Yeah. And, and I mean, just on that, there are kind of two key things that I, I was thinking about. I think the first is that I think a lot of people underestimate the opportunity of an honours project is, you know, a lot of people just do it as part of their honours degree to tick a box. But really, um, the research methods training that you get, the exposure to so many different academics in one place, really creates an environment that is conducive to producing high quality work that can then be published, you know. So I think, first of all, just being able to take advantage of that opportunity was great and really see that, you know, I do have to put this piece of work together, but how can I make it something that isn't just towards my degree, but could contribute to, you know, the, the literature um, and the academic landscape. So I think that was kind of the first thing that came to mind. Um, and then I think the second thing is also the importance of having supportive um, 
supervisors and a supportive environment. I mean, obviously, Jen, you were my supervisor for my honor project, um, as well as uh, Dr. Wafer. But I think really, I wouldn't have proceeded with this journey of trying to publish my work if it hadn't been for your encouragement. So I think there's also something to be said there for more um, academics who are supervising students to be more proactive in getting their students work published, because it does end up being a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think it's it's an interesting point you raise because we're often cautioned against pushing students at honors level uh, towards doing publishable research. And, and we're very clearly told that that's not a requirement. And that's absolutely true. It's not a requirement that honors work is published or even masters. It's only a PhD level that a, a publication is required, uh, at WITS at least. But I think it is about understanding the student and understanding the type of work. And particularly from honors level work, as a supervisor, it takes a lot more to be able to do the legwork in framing it and determining whether it's a project that makes a contribution to knowledge and making sure that finding that kind of a project and finding that kind of a student who wants to pursue this route and matching them together in such a way that it's not creating unnecessary workload on the student that would never be able to come back to them in terms of the grade that they get for their report or the ability to find work after their degree or focus on their other courses. Um, and I think that that is something that perhaps does need a little bit more, at least conversation around how do we identify the people, the projects, the environments that allow that to happen where it is appropriate for it to happen. And it's not appropriate for every project or every student, um, but certainly your project was very much an honors level project, but came out with really important and novel findings, partly because so little had been done in the e-hailing space so far, uh, but also because it was so fundamentally rooted in the experiences of students in South Africa. So I think you've raised a really important point there and, and something that Hopefully, people who are in academic posts will start thinking a bit more critically about, particularly because as an honours student, you found that, uh, or as a qualified honours candidate, you found that it's such a valuable process. Um, related to that, I think it's, it's interesting to ask you, because this did all happen after you'd finished your honours degree, is how you saw this process. Was it something that you saw as a hobby? Is it something that you felt you wanted to create time for um, because of course at that point you were then working in a full-time job but how did you decide that this was something that was important to you and how did you then allocate time and energy and invest the extra amount of work that it goes into turning a project into a paper? Yeah um, that's a really interesting question. I, I suppose in a sense for me it always felt like inevitable like I've always really loved the academic space and I've always really wanted to be involved in some way in um, you know creating knowledge um, doing research and getting that work out there so I think in some ways when as soon as the opportunity arose or it was something to consider I automatically wanted to say yes um, as you mentioned I was working full-time so that did obviously take a bit of my weekends and that kind of thing I think also, though, I was in a way used to that because I started working full time halfway through my honors year. 
So I had consistently been balancing all of like my coursework and my honors project with my job. So I kind of gotten used to that. And I think even now as I'm doing my master's, I'm also working full time. So <laughs> I think it is just kind of something you make a routine out of. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think especially given my field um, and looking at urban geography and especially the emergence of this discussion about cities of the South, I also kind of felt like a bit of a moral obligation to publish and make visible the voices and experiences of people living in cities of the South and in South Africa, especially, because there is, you know, this abundance of literature about urban studies and urban geography in New York, Paris, um, and all, you know, more developed cities. So for me, it was really important to give visibility to experiences of people in cities of the South. And I think also importantly, experiences of youth, because, as far as I could see as well, maybe it's just in my discipline, but there is this underrepresentation of youth experiences. Um, and oftentimes when we look at um, the city as like a research landscape, it's often thought of as a place for economically active people to navigate during the day. So I think for me, bringing that kind of alternative perspective was, was quite important too. Yeah, I mean, really amazing to hear just the passion behind the process of turning this into a publication and your justifications. I think often it's, although it is a foregone conclusion that work will be, have to be published from it, uh, particularly again, a PhD level, I think for many people, it's seen as this really difficult process and uh, something that really feels like an obligation. And for you, it doesn't sound like that was the case at all. But I am mindful that this is in reflecting back on the process and this is knowing that the paper is published. So perhaps you want to just delve into the process of writing and in particularly the review process and some of the challenges that you experienced in that process uh, as a very, very early career researcher. Yeah, no, de definitely. It wasn't easy at all. Um, I think for me, th the first thing that was really difficult was trying to condense my honours project, which was like 137 pages, into um, a journal article that was within the format that they required and was short enough. So I think for me, that was honestly a really difficult and a major challenge, especially because I think everyone sort of feels like this when they finish an honors or a master's is, you know, it's done, I, I finished, I don't want to look at it again or like rework it. So I think the, the, the initial stage of having to like revisit all of the literature that I had read um, and reworking what I'd written and also in, in some ways being like self-critical of my honors project that even though I did, you know, fairly well in terms of my mark that I got, seeing how some of the things I had previously written could be improved upon. So I think that was really challenging is just trying to condense so much work into, um, you know, a relatively small journal article. And then I think also being receptive to like changing things and delving into um, new like frameworks and approaches. Um, one of the reviewers was, um, gave me major reviews, major revisions. So they like they mentioned you know different theoretical frameworks that I needed to engage in and a whole lot more to do. So there it was really also just a bit a little bit frustrating to be like I, I you know I spent like six months reading all this literature already why do I have to now go back to all of it? Um, and then I think also just yeah spending the time reworking that especially when you know people take pride in their work and I was like oh I think my project's pretty good and 
I think the work was good. So I think, yeah, just being open to that kind of feedback. Um, and yeah, also just really understanding the format, I think was another thing is because I, I mean, I've read a lot of journal articles, but I don't think I'd ever really been exposed to the fact that different journals have different standards of how they want work published. Um, and it's, doesn't necessarily follow the, the same headings as a honors project would. So also just first familiarizing myself, obviously, with your guidance on how to format things and rework um, everything and try and condense it into something that would be useful. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've touched on a number of really, really important points here. Um, the first of which is understanding what goes into a journal article. And I think there are many parts to that. One being, as you've pointed out, just understanding that different journals have different requirements, whether it's the number of words or uh, what even constitutes that word count. For some, that will include reference lists. For others, it won't. For some, there is a word equivalent for each figure. For others, there isn't. So understanding that that's different. I think on the user end, when we read a paper, you just think that it is the length it is because that's what they had to say. Um, knowing that each journal has a different referencing style, that each journal has a different way that they want you to organize and number or not number the headings. And it's often those kinds of things that are things that we don't know that we don't know. Um, and yeah. uh, related to that, and um, a previous episode of this podcast, we discussed not, not knowing anything about impact factors until you start the process of, of writing. And I think for many students, impact factors aren't something you know about, or it's something that you know about only insofar as selecting papers to read. But when it comes to choosing the journal that you're publishing, it's something where it's a huge world of new language and terminology and things that you need to look up. So I think that's really interesting. But I also think that it's it's really interesting to explore that process of the review process and how much change is required. Because again, as an end user, and when you're in undergrad in particular, you read a paper and you think that that paper is the words entirely of the author. And actually it isn't because the end product paper is very much the words of the author and the reviewers and is very much shaped by that review process. And so I know I was certainly quite puzzled by the fact that I had, first of all, reviews that required very extensive change to a paper. But secondly, that they'd often be round after round of reviews. And you think, well, I did everything you wanted. Why are you not happy? Why is there a second round of comments or a third round of comments? Um, and I think that's also part of what is very new to people who start the publication process is understanding that review process and just how in-depth it is. There are all these memes on the internet about reviewer two, uh, but I don't think you quite understand it until you've walked that path and, and really had to engage with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think also just it's about mindset too, of trying to remember that, well, in most cases, the reviewers aren't like out to get you. <laughs> and it's not a case of them not wanting to get your work published. It's more of just making sure that it's as robust as possible. And yeah, I think for me, just having that mindset of trying to take everything that they say positively um, and as a constructive thing to improve my work was important. I mean, you know, obviously that's not the case. Sometimes people get bad reviews for no reason. Um, but yeah, I think just trying to think of it as a constructive process of like a co-production of knowledge is, is important. And also ultimately that 
I mean, at the end of the day, it is um, the journal of the editors, you know, and they are agreeing to publish a work and they are accountable for their journal um, to the publishing company that, you know, is responsible. So you have to understand that, you know, it's not just you going out and self-publishing a novel. It's really important that everything gets approved um, in due process too. Yeah, I think that's really important and an important mind shift to make, uh, particularly, as you've said, from going into it and having a grade that's been attached to your research report and going, great, I've got a distinction for this. People think that my work is good. And in a research report, you do have some engagement with your supervisor. So you have had to make some changes along the way. But it's nothing like the level and the depth of, of engagement that you get in the review process. And so I, I certainly see the conflict of, on the one hand, trying to go in with as positive a mindset as possible and to really understand the time and energy that the reviewers put into drawing up that list of reviews and revisions, but also feeling on quite a personal level attacked or hurt by the fact that you put, as you say, six months of time into reading on this topic and you had gone and done all the legwork for this research and you've got a good grade for it. And why are they being so mean or so harsh or requiring such a monumental overhaul of, in mm -hmm. your case, the theoretical section of it? And I think it's it's important to recognize both sides of that, that we don't live in a perfect world where we can just take everything uh, like water off a duck's back and uh, just see the positives in it, that it is actually at a, quite a personal level, a criticism and an attack on something that we've birthed over the period of, of the nine months of the honors degree. And now people are, are trying to pull that apart and, and ask you to put it back together. And I think that's especially hard um, as for me, like a first time author on a paper is I, to a certain extent, um, was still relatively new to the academic environment and, you know, this publishing process. And to think that the, the editors of the journal itself were leaders in the field of, of my research and the fact that these reviewers could be, you know, longstanding academics that I may have even cited in, in the paper. It's quite then very like intimidating to realize that they're not just, you know, tearing you to pieces, but that's, you know, your work is still valid and useful and that they wouldn't be spending time giving these kind of re review comments if it wasn't. So, yeah, I think that was also difficult to come to terms with, of realizing, you know, because there is this power dynamic, I think, especially for younger researchers and younger academics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I've got two questions that follow from that. The first is, do you think that when you approach your next paper, and there will no doubt be future publications from your master's, that that feeling of intimidation or um, perhaps a degree of imposter syndrome, that, that that's going to be less in the next paper that you write? Do you feel that having now got through to the end of a journey and having that concrete output helps with that feeling? Or do you think that perhaps it, it actually allowed it to flourish even further because you become more and more aware of just how many actors there are in the space? Um, I, I think that it's not going to be as intimidating the next time I publish. Um, I don't think that's only because I have now a published paper to my name. I think it's also because as I've progressed in my academic journey, I've also gotten more exposure to what the environment is like. 
um, and more exposure to yeah what the dynamics are at play. I mean, even just um, attending the SSAG conference, uh, which was my first academic conference, I got insights into what the issues are around publishing. Um, there was one presentation about that. And so for me, I, I now have a better sense of the fact that, you know, these academics and scholars aren't these magical people who lie on a page or, you know, produce this amazing research, that they too are scholars in progress and also just, you know, working and navigating complexities and power dynamics in other spaces too. So I think I've kind of just gotten a more holistic sense of academia and the fact that everyone is faced with these challenges and even academics who have been around for 10 years still you know feel intimidated by certain journals or you know certain certain places so I think that that's kind of just given me more perspective um, I think also the other thing is that getting kind of positive feedback on my work so far has really motivated me to continue um, as you said um, I, I got really good feedback on my honors project itself so that really made me want to then publish the work of and even even though the reviews were major in one case and minor in the other case both reviewers said that it's important work that's worth publishing so that's really great um, and I mean even now moving forward with my master's research um, initial comments from like my supervisors but also people that I've spoken to about my research all say that it's important work so again, I think it's just trying to make it also more about the work itself um, and my findings and that really being my driving force of wanting to get that out there. And I mean, yes, it's nice for me, <laughs> but I think it's more importantly, it's about you know creating knowledge that is accessible and relevant in our context. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree completely. And and before I jump onto the second part of the question, I do just want to reflect on something you said that hasn't really occurred to me until now, but the fact that I, as an academic, and I've been in the game for a while now, I'm constantly submitting papers that are being rejected, or I'm getting major revisions, or I'm having really harsh revisions to, or mm -hmm. that I'm having to really struggle to respond to. And I think perhaps we, we imagine when we are very early career researchers that you will grow to a point where everything you then do is correct. And at university and school, that's kind of what we're trained to do, that you're trained to learn the system well enough that if you really care about it, you can then crack a consistent A, for example. And in the world of academia and the world of publishing, that certainly hasn't happened for me yet. And I don't think it's happened for anyone that they get to a point where they have it down so well that every paper is accepted without revisions and off it goes. Um, instead, as you say, the same level of revisions that you're facing and um, you there are part of a team and that team is facing it are exactly the same level of revisions that somebody who is the expert on that topic globally is facing when they submit their work. And I, I really think that's an important message for early career researchers, people who are writing their first paper, people who are dealing with their first set of, of revisions is those revisions aren't a sign that you are new or early or um, that you've just begun this process, those are par for the course of academic writing. And as you say, because a journal has certain standards that it needs to uphold. Um, but the second part of my question that, that I had earlier was in the process of having gone through writing, revising, rebutting comments and resubmitting, 
what would you do differently when you write your next paper? Um, what are things where you think you perhaps spent more time than you needed to or invested more energy than you needed to or just didn't really serve you too well? Mm. Um, I, I think the main thing is just the approach. I mean, as I mentioned, the, the first challenge I faced was trying to condense my work into a journal article. So I think that almost was, in some senses, not the way to think about doing it. So I think especially now, as I'm going to be working on a master's, which is going to be even longer than my honours, that instead of thinking as whatever published outcome happens from that is, you know, a condensed version of my master's project, but rather it's a paper in, that is like not in parallel, but is in addition to the honours project. So I think that's the first thing of like not trying to just condense everything down into a journal article but really seeing like what are the key bits that I can take from this that can be turned into its own self-standing journal article and almost in a sense like rewriting the the journal article so not just like copying and pasting things but really like trying to rework it um so I think that would be the first thing um and also then I think being more uh I don't know conscious of how long the review process is going to take I think I also had that mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to finish this article and then submit it and then it's going to be accepted and then everything's going to be great. <laughs> so I think they're also just being more realistic of the fact that there is going to be definitely at least one round of revisions and potentially two or three or however many. And that it's less about trying to rush the process and more about trying to learn from every single step. Um, and I think also that it's about, and I guess this is like a theme from our discussion, is disassociating your worth as a person or as an academic from this particular piece of um, research that you've conducted. So really seeing that revisions to your work aren't, you know, revisions on who you are or, you know, um, that kind of ownership that you have over your, your work, but really it's, it's a separate thing and it's being improved upon, which is actually a good thing for you as well in the long run. I mean, those are three incredible pieces of advice for yourself, for your next publication, but also to anyone who's starting in this journey. I really think each of these is so valuable. And to start with the first one that you mentioned, instead of cutting down a project, writing a paper from scratch, and it's certainly something that I advocate for, because I think in trying to cut something down, it's really a struggle, um, because you are attached to the work you've done and every sentence was written with purpose and with meaning and to cut those sentences or shorten those sentences, you're not going to get down from 137 pages to, to the standard 20 pages by doing that without really, really struggling. And so I like to see that 137 page document as in a sense, a supply of information, a textbook or um, a source of data that you then use in writing something new. So in the same way that you would have a textbook and then write an exam on a very specific question, that textbook is immensely helpful and you'll pull all sorts of sections from it, but you're not going to try and reduce the textbook into answering that question. And, and so I think that's really, really important is asking yourself, what is the story that this publication is going to tell? And it doesn't have to be everything that was in that honors research or master's research or, or even a, a deliberate study that you do as a postdoc or as an early career academic, that 
you will go out and do something. You'll collect a lot of data. You'll do a lot of reading. But then you need to ask yourself, what is the big question that's come from this? And what story do I want to tell? And so I think that's really brilliant advice. And then, as you say, being aware of the fact that the process doesn't end when you submit that first draft. And I think that's such an important thing to tell people because we do all hope in the back of our head that we've put in all of this hard work and we've wrestled with this piece with our supervisors and now it's gone in and now it will come back accepted and we'll go online and I'm done. And unfortunately, that's not the case. But as you say, perhaps that's fortunate and really the value of a paper and the ability for it to be read and cited and to really provide meaning to the discipline is exactly through that review process. And so being able to see value in that, but also know that the journey is not done until you get that final letter saying, accept, you've got the proofs and you see it go up on the webpage. Yeah. And I mean, even then it might not be finished, you know, you might have (laughs) more to say on the topic or another person trying to engage in something completely different um, and and I think that's also the thing about a lot of academic work is that it's it's not just happening in a void that's static you know research is constantly being improved upon and reinvented and I think it's an important life lesson in all disciplines is that you know we're, we're constantly needing to iterate and nothing is ever really finished. Yeah absolutely and again I think that that shows the lessons learned through the process of going through this, that that is where you're now at. And when you approach the next paper, those are the the kind of framings to the way you think about it and the way you go about producing that piece of work. So my final question um, is about the changing power dynamics from somebody or two people being your supervisor and uh, in academic space and particularly in honors, quite restrictive how much they can help you so they'll give you advice they're allowed to read a couple of drafts of your work but they certainly can't help you write that work and you have to take quite a lot of ownership in the process of doing that honors research but then those people become your co-authors and there's a change in that power dynamic where they go from being the person telling you what to do or not to do to becoming your partners in this process and your colleagues and people who should have really an equal position in this to you. Of course, there are dynamics around um, first author and and the amount of work that that carries, but certainly it shouldn't be a continuation of of the pure supervision process. So if you can just reflect on on how that experience played out for you and how you felt that changing dynamic from a supervisor to a Mm co-author. Yeah, that, that is very interesting. Um, and I think something I haven't actually reflected on, but but now that you mention it, it, it is very true. I think for me, um, perhaps I've always thought of this as like my research. Um, so I, I've tried to maintain a lot of the, um, I don't know, I guess the final say on what happens with the comments and that. Um, so I think... You know, in some senses, I didn't all of a sudden get a huge amount of input from um, my previous supervisors and they didn't, you know, contribute a whole new paragraph or chapter or anything like that. So I think in that sense, um, there wasn't like a huge shift in the dynamics. I think one of the challenges, though, is realizing that because you're no longer, you know, their student, they're supervising, you're no longer going to be their top priority um, in terms of making sure that things happen 
as quickly as possible. Uh, so, I, like, what I experienced is then, you know, as a, a, now, a now co-author on a paper, you then having to make sure that they prioritize, you know, reviewing the, the paper that's been written, um, and sometimes you have to nudge them and say, you know, please do review comments, um, provide feedback, because, you know, we are wanting to move things along which is also kind of difficult sometimes because I think a lot of people are used to having their supervisors telling them what to do. Um, and now it's almost like the, the tables are turned because uh, as a lead author on a paper, you're kind of responsible for making sure that all comments um, are addressed and that every author has a chance to review and trying to like move that ship along. Whereas of course, um, the other co-authors have other priorities and have to, yeah, sometimes you just have to encourage them and nudge them um, and do so, I suppose, in a polite and professional manner too. No, I think that's really, really useful insight. And particularly for people who choose to take a very strong leadership role in writing up their paper and who are determined to be the first author, but also, as you say, to maintain a degree of autonomy that this is your research and you're not happy to just have somebody swoop in and address all the comments for you but then the flip side is about again negotiating those power dynamics and having to reframe those engagements to say I'm now not the person submitting work to you I'm the person asking you to submit work to me and for you to meet my deadlines um, so that I can get this back to the journal in time and I think that's really really useful to point out to people because Again, going in, I think, with your eyes open makes these processes a lot easier to navigate rather than having to encounter them for the first time as and when they're happening. Yeah. Annabelle, it's been so amazing having you on this podcast. I think you've provided a wealth of input and, again, remarkable for your age and where you're at in your academic journey that you have learned this much and experienced this much so early on and that it's framing the way that you're approaching your research and future papers you write, but also that it provides such useful suggestions and input for people who are starting this journey themselves. So a very, very huge thank you to you and uh, uh, wishing you all the best for the future papers that you're going to write, which no doubt are not only going to come from, from your master's work, but may well come from, as you say, the things that come up in life that uh, become important and knowing that the academic journey doesn't end when you finish each degree. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think, I suppose, as a closing thought on that, I, I guess given my trajectory that I'm not a full-time academic and I don't know when and if I ever will be, but just bearing in mind that publishing work isn't just about, you know, the trajectory towards being an academic, that it has a lot of other benefits. I think, as I mentioned, for me, the primary is really getting your work out there and making sure that you can contribute to changing knowledges and co-producing, you know, new ways of thinking, especially, I think, as South Africans, Africans or scholars um, from the Global South. I think that's really important, just making sure that knowledge is in print out there for people to read and access. But then I think also recognizing that this journey is also useful no matter where you go with your career. Um, people are always um, impressed or excited to see that you've published in journals. And so I think it is definitely a beneficial process, um, not only for full-time academics. No, I couldn't agree more, Annabelle. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Revise, Rebut and Resubmit. Hopefully it's given you some insight into the process of academic writing and approaching that first academic paper. 
If you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more of this show, please subscribe to this podcast. A huge thanks again to the Center of Excellence for Paleoscience for supporting this work.